Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now, let's go to this week's message. We have been in a series called At the Movies. And um, for those of you who maybe today is your first time with us uh, at the movies, we started a couple weeks ago, and our senior pastor, Pastor Terry, started us off with, he talked about Aladdin, and Aladdin, um, he talked about how, uh, who God is and who God's not. So we talked about that and how God is not a genie. Yesterday, not yesterday, yesterday was Saturday, you weren't here yesterday, um, uh, last week, Gail was with us, and for those of you who were here last week, you know that we went warp speed, and um, that was so awesome. What a great and powerful word she had for us on the Lion King and knowing who the Lion and the King really is. And today, I'm going to talk to us about a movie called Breakthrough. How many of you have seen the movie Breakthrough? Okay, not very many of you. That's awesome. I mean, it's not awesome. You should, you should see it. It's a really good movie. But um, let me get us all up to speed on um, the movie synopsis for Breakthrough. Breakthrough centers around the true story of teenager John Smith, a young man from St. Charles, Missouri. John, who was adopted by his parents, Joyce and Brian, when he was just a baby, attended middle school and played sports until tragedy struck. On January 19, 2015, then 14-year-old John and two of his friends were messing around on frozen, Saint Louis, frozen Lake St. Louis when the ice broke open beneath their feet and they plummeted down into the brutally cold water. One boy was able to climb his way out and another was quickly rescued. Uh, John, however, became trapped and sank down to the lake's floor. After 15 minutes underwater, the teenager was finally pulled to the surface by first responders and taken to the nearby St. Joseph Hospital West. His body was cold and lifeless, and doctors tried to administer CPR for 43 minutes with no success. The emergency room doctor was preparing to deliver the tragic news to John's mother, Joyce, when she entered her son's hospital room and quickly said a desperate prayer. Holy Spirit! Please, give me back my son. As the story goes, that was the moment that changed everything. Immediately after Joyce uttered those words, her son's heart began beating once again. And he just kept continuing to defy the odds from there, although his doctors had told Joyce and Brian that he would likely never regain neurological function. And my daughter, Hannah, and I went and saw this movie uh, a few months ago when it came out, and I am not ashamed to tell you that there was a lot of ugly crying, wasn't there? Now, I probably just took out all the dudes in the room, because when I said ugly crying, you heard chick flick, so you have automatically checked out. So what I'm hoping to is redeem this moment and tell you that one of the executive producers, for those of you who like sports and basketball, was um, Steph Curry. So that should maybe bring you back in, unless you don't like Golden State, and then I've lost you for good. So hopefully the Holy Spirit will penetrate your heart this morning. This true story takes us on a journey of a mother's unwavering faith and trust in a God who is who he says he is in the midst of what would be every parent's nightmare. As I sat and watched this movie, I was in complete awe 
of this mother's, this woman's faith that God was going to heal her son. I mean, John was trapped in the icy water with no oxygen for about 15 minutes. Um, And then when they pulled him out, they were doing CPR for about 43 minutes and never seeing, hearing, or feeling a pulse. I mean, the kid was dead, like for real dead. Like, he wasn't playing. He was for real, for real dead. He was actually dead for about an hour. And I thought to myself, how did this lady get to a place of such boldness of faith and trust that her son was going to live and not die? I mean, because he was dead right in front of her. Everything in front of her said, this isn't going to happen. He's not going to get up. I'm never going to see my son um, uh, go on to play college ball. I'm never going to be able to see my son get married. I'm, I, I, I'm, no, I'm no longer. It's been taken from me. I'm never going to see grandchildren. None of that. But, see, she saw all of that. But what I realized after a couple of weeks after I saw the movie, I happened to stumble across a video on YouTube that um, it was her and her son. They were at a church in St. Louis, Missouri, and they were telling their their um, testimony. And how many of you know when you watch a movie, you know, especially if it's a true story, you're, you're not going to hear or see everything that's in the story. I think that that is really why we say that the book is better because um, you can elaborate so much more in a book than you can a movie because if they elaborate on every single thing, we'd probably still be sitting here or I'd be sitting there still in the movie theater watching the movie because it would just be way too long. So um, when I heard her testimony and she said in this church that when she got the phone call that her um, son had drowned and they, he was transported to the hospital, when she got in the van and rushed to the hospital, and she, she said on the way to the hospital, she heard God tell her, John's going to be okay. So then I began to understand a little bit more of, it made sense to me, why she was so bold in this faith and in this trust that her son was going to get up and he was going to walk out of that hospital room. Remember a few months back when Pastor talked about the story in the Bible where the disciples, they had been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus said to Peter in Luke 5, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But he, Peter, answered and said to him, Jesus, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. I'm really glad that that scripture doesn't end there. But at the same time, I can find myself in that story, and I'm sure you can too, when we're faced with something that doesn't make sense, that and we don't like to say that we actually say this, but really in our hearts, this is what we do. We go, dude, don't you see what's going on? It's hopeless, and I'm out. But Peter didn't do that. He said the next word that I believe that we have got to put back into our vocabulary, and we need to use it often. And that is when he said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, see, he, he, looked, he looked at it in front of him, what was reality in the natural. But he said, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking See, he knew and saw what was in front of him, but he also knew who Jesus was. And he knew that the word that was spoken out of Jesus' mouth, he could step on it, and he knew that he wouldn't fall. 
on that word, on that promise that John was going to be okay, Joyce Smith stood and was not moved. Although just like Peter to the natural eye, it was hopeless, Peter and Joyce had something in common. They both believed what, that what God says supersedes what the natural eye sees. I'm going to say that again. They both believed that what God said superseded what they saw with the natural eye. Amen. And because God throughout all of time has been continually revealing his character to be steadfast and never changing, when he speaks a word, we can be confident in it. It doesn't matter what it looks like in front of me. If God says it, that's it. And we could go home right now. Because what God says, that's it. That's it. He said it on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. And when he said that, he meant it. It is finished. Amen? In your times of crisis, what or, who do, what or who do you put your trust in? Because something that I know is that depending on what or who you place your trust in, that will determine whether or not you are destroyed or crushed by the circumstance or the crisis that's at hand. In the midst of crisis and uncertainty, fear, fear can easily set in and fear can make us run. How many of us in the room have felt fear some of you are lying because you don't have your hand up. We all experience fear. And sometimes I think that we get caught up in the, oh, I shouldn't be fearful because God's word says I shouldn't be fearful. Well, yes, it does. But we're also human. We're human. And things that come out, let, let's just be honest, there's some scary stuff that comes at us in life, right? There's some scary stuff, things that, that we can't see you know, way down the road, and we have no clue what's going on. And there's this, this thing of un, uncertainty and what's going to happen, and then, then fear sets in. But I don't think that the question should be, am I going to be fearful, or why am I fearful? But I really think that the, the, that the real question should be, who will you run to in fear? Who will you run to in fear? Because stuff is going to come. I was listening to a teaching by uh, Lisa Turkhurst, and she said to the audience, she said, um, one thing I can be certain of, we've either been through some stuff, we're in some stuff, or we're heading into some stuff. And then she said, well, that's not very positive. She said, no, I'm positive. We're either been in some stuff, we're in some stuff right now, or we're headed into some stuff. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. And even if you're not taking notes, I want you to write this down. When everything falls apart, who or what will I place my trust in? Write that down. Because I, I really want you to wrestle with that question. That's um, part of the whole reason why I'm up here this morning is I want us to wrestle with this trust thing and really evaluate ourselves and our, our, our everyday lives and who do we put our trust in? So write that down. When everything falls apart, who or what will I place my trust in? Had Joyce placed her trust in the doctors and left it at that, she would have been crushed and devastated by the outcome. The ER doctor told her that he did everything he knew to do as a professional, as a scientist, as a human being. There was nothing else he could do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, but God. But God. That was pretty weak. 
Um, let's try that again. That was really weak. So turn to your second choice. We're not going to discuss why it was your second choice. But turn to your second choice, and I want you to say with conviction, but God. But God. Amen. Oh, some of you even got the clap down. That was awesome. Ooh, yes. He has the power to open blind eyes. He has the power to cause the deaf to hear and raise the dead. With him, there is nothing that is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Listen to me. Nothing is impossible for him. He can do all things. There's nothing he cannot do. Nothing. Nothing. As Christ followers, our faith isn't dictated by our circumstance our faith is dictated by God's character and his faithfulness. It's dictated by that he is who he says he is. He does what he says he does, and he never changes. I didn't say that he might never change. I said he never changes. Never. Numbers 23:19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is the same on Tuesdays only. What, your Bible doesn't say that? Oh, no. It says Jesus Christ is the same, say it with me, yesterday and today and forever. Let's say that again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And then Malachi 3.6 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. The sheer miracle of this boy surviving is enough to make you marvel at God. And believe me, it did me. As I'm sitting there watching this unfold, just the, the sheer fact that um, he raised him from the dead, let's just call it exactly what it was, um, was more than enough to make me marvel at God. But what really got me was when she began, she being Joyce, began to explain all the things that were divinely aligned around the miracle. And um, I loved listening to her, and this just got, it just built up my faith even more than, than it already is, just hearing this woman talk about all the things that God did um, in the background. And a lot of times, those things we don't see, and, and, and listen to me, sometimes we don't ever see them. We may not ever see them on this side of heaven. But what was so amazing to me and blew me away was these several different things that I'm going to tell you about. Two days before the accident, first responders had gotten their new wetsuits and were out on the lake practicing their cold water retrieval techniques, not knowing that just two days later they would be using it. The fire department, because of it being a holiday when this happened, moved first responders to a closer place of about 10 minutes from the accident. When I, when I heard her say that, I was like, that's weird. Like, why did, why did they move just because of a holiday? But God knew. God knew exactly what needed to happen. A doctor had, this is one of my favorites, a doctor had been positioned at the hospital John would be at who was, oh, just by chance, an expert in drowning and hypothermia. I love my God. And this probably is, is, is my favorite. The first responder that retrieved John heard God for the first time in an audible voice tell him where to find John's body on the bottom of that lake. Now, I got to expound here a little bit. 
because um, when I was listening to Joyce, she was talking about how um, this man who was this first responder who heard God say, um, go, what, what he essentially heard was he, he had given up. I mean, he had been out there for quite some time, and he had given up, so he was getting ready to get out of the water, and he heard a voice say, go back. And I think, if I remember correctly, he, he, it was specific, like, go back two feet. He thought it was the fire chief who was on the shore that told him to go back. And then after uh, the day's events, they were um, at the fire station, they were talking, and um, the chief said, mm, I never said anything to you. I was with the other two boys. I never said anything to you. That in itself is amazing. But what is even more amazing is that first responder didn't even believe in God. He didn't even believe in God. I really feel like that is a word for some of you today who have been wondering how or why would God ever use you. And here's a man who didn't even believe in him, and God used him. Three weeks leading up to the accident, Joyce talks about a Bible study she had been doing with her women's small group. For homework, they were to confess three things every day. I believe God is who he says he is. I believe God can do what he says he can do, and I am believing God. There's some powerful stuff in declaring who God is. What, what I know is that there's no way any of that could have been a coincidence. Maybe if it was one of them, I would have been like, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's coincidence. But all of those things, I don't think that's a coincidence, do you? See, part of what that tells me is that God is already in your tomorrow working it out for your good and for his glory. He's working it out for your good and for his glory. But here's a problem that I feel like we butt up against. And this actually didn't have in my teaching until, until this morning when I was going over it. And um, I got to that, God is already in your tomorrow working it out for your good and for his glory. And I felt like God said... Yes, and tell them that part of the reason why they don't believe that is because they're looking at what they think is their good instead of what is my good. See, we have a very limited, narrow view of all this. We have a very fraction of a view. And my God, your God, is all-knowing, he's omnipotent, He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, and he fashioned all the days ahead of you. He is who he says he is. Why didn't he immediately revive John? He certainly could have. I mean, we already established that, that there's nothing that's impossible for him, right? I don't know why he didn't, but I do know this. That because of all the circumstances surrounding this story and how it happened, only God, only he can get the glory from the outcome. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. If Joyce wouldn't have called out to God in desperation to bring her son back to her in front of over 30 medical professionals for them to witness John's heart immediately begin beating, Three of the nurses in the room may not have ever given their heart to the Lord. And because this story was made into a movie, now millions of people are witnessing who God is, 
that he is still in the business of doing miracles and that he is still in charge. Again, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows the end from the beginning, and we only have barely a fraction of a view. And you might be here today with a why question. You might be sitting out there thinking, well, that's an amazing story, but I didn't get that kind of an outcome. And why, God? Why? Why did you heal that boy, but you didn't, you fill in the blank? I don't have all the answers. And can I just tell you that I really wish I did. I wish I had all the answers to ease your pain. I don't have them all. But I do know that there are promises we can cling to in his word that we can stand on in the process of grieving and healing. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic for them, before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. I love that that says personally. It doesn't just say he goes before you. I don't think it's a mistake that that's added in there personally because our God is a personal God. He will personally go, go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. The Bible is, full of prom is, is completely full of promises like these. I read something the other day that said some people say there are about 3,000 promises in the Bible. Others have counted seven, and then yet another person claims there to be 8,000 promises in the Bible. Can I tell you, I don't really care the exact number of promises that are in the Bible. I just know that there's a lot of them, and every single one of them is for me, and they're for you to claim, declare, believe, <laughs> declare them over ourselves over our families, and over our situations. In the midst of um, our pain and crisis, I've got to ask you, what's your go-to? Remember I told you that, that I, I had you write down that question because I want us, to each of us, to evaluate um, what we, who or, or what we put our trust in. And again, along those same lines, when, when you're in the midst of, of turmoil and, and, and just chaos all around you and devastating events, um, where do you run to? Do you, do you run to food? Do you run to a substance? Do you run to um, a person? Um, be that, be your, uh, your best friend or um, acquaintance. Can I just say that it is, it is a great thing for us to have godly people in our lives that we can get godly counsel to. But can I also tell you that if you're running to them first, you shouldn't be. You should be running to him first because he has all the answers that you need. He has all the answers that each and every one of us needs. I have to take a little bit of a rabbit trail here, so I'm just going to go ahead and apologize. Not really. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not sorry. Do you run to social media? Can I tell you that... Um, Social media is killing us. It's killing our identity. It's killing our relationships. It's killing our confidence. It breeds jealousy, comparison. 
When you're frustrated, do you run to social media? Do you begin to look on there and scroll through Instagram and begin to look at all the pictures of what seemingly looks like perfect lives and yours is crumbling all around you? And what you don't realize is that what you're comparing yourself to is a highlight reel? That mom that tried to get that picture, that perfect picture, and it was the 515th time she snapped it because her kids were screaming. But what you also don't know about that mom is she doesn't know when her husband's coming home. So she looks at that as a way to hide behind the pain. But yet we look at that and we compare ourselves to it. Do you run to social media in hopes to find justification and love and acceptance? And when you post that perfect picture that it took you 45 minutes to get it perfect, and then the likes don't begin to flood in and the comments don't begin to ensue, you begin, you throw up your hands and see, nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. I'm worth nothing. First of all, can I tell you that Facebook is the, like, manager of who is on your timeline, so maybe they didn't even see it anyway. But let me tell you something else. Nowhere, this is a lie. This is a lie from the pit of hell. That I'm supposed to bring all of my aches and pains and all, air all of my issues on social media so that I can be satisfied in the area of love. And if I would just get 516 likes on this picture, then I know that I'm accepted. Listen to me. You were never created to bring all of yourself to all of humanity. No, he says you bring all of you to all of me where I am the source of everything that you need. Listen, it's going to be a dead end every time you go there. You're going to be left even more empty than when you showed up. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He's the one who has the source of all comfort. So let's, Let's kind of change gears here a little bit. Let's talk about some practical steps that, can, uh, that we can take that will help us to exercise great faith in him in the midst of uncertainty. I think the first one um, where we need to start is we need to build trust. We need to build trust. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. I don't know about you, but I want my God close. And I know that he is. And when we trust in him, we know that he is close because his word tells us that. Our hope, our trust, and our faith find their strength in the steadfast love of a sinless Savior. There and there alone will we find a well of trust that never runs dry and never betrays. He is a covenant-keeping God whose promises are faithful and true. He is utterly and totally reliable even when his promises seem so far off. So how do we build trust with someone? Well, I think first we've got to get to know them. And to know them, we've got to spend time with them. In order to trust someone, I need to know their character. 
Will they be there for me when I need them? Are they consistent? Do they say what they mean and do what they say? Now, we can get into a little bit of a problem area here because if we're looking at earthly relationships, I fail you, you fail me, you, you, you say promises that you can't keep, um, I hurt you, you hurt me, and uh, where we can get into problem is, is when we compare people relationship with God and project the failures of man on the character of God, and that's not who he is. My God never fails. So we can't just look at our people relationships and project that onto the character of God. We're going we're to have a false um, truth to who he is. And we're, honestly, we're going to probably keep him at a distance and we're never going to trust him. Because we're now in that thinking, when's he going to fail me? Is this the time? Is this the time he's going to fail me? See, God has given us this, um, this precious book of love letters revealing his character to us, revealing his promises to us. And if I want to get to know him and trust him, I got to know what he's about. I got to know who he is. And I simply do that. I simply build trust in him. By the way, he's already proven himself faithful. He's already proven himself trustworthy. But I got to get to know him. I got to get to know that he is who he says he is. And that's just simply by spending time with him and having conversations, which we call prayer. It's just simple. So we got to build trust. And then I think that this is uh, a very important. I don't think that you can do one without the other and to be successful. And the second thing is, is we have to stay focused. We have to stay focused. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. See, keeping our eyes on God's faithfulness instead of our circumstance allows us to maintain our trust when things get tough. Staying focused means we have to remain in his word. I don't know about you, but I don't remember things as well as I used to. Um, I used to be able to hear something one time or read something one time, and I pretty much got it. And I, that's not so much anymore. I mean, who am I kidding? That's never anymore. Um, <laughs> I got to reread things like four and five times, and still I probably didn't get it. I got to go back and read it again. And then I have to read it every day for the next 30 days for it to really get in. Deuteronomy 11, let me go back here. Staying focused means we have to remain in his word. Um, we've got to get God's word deep into our hearts. And he tells us in his word exactly how to do that. I love our God. He tells us exactly. If we would just read this, he'd tell us what to do. And isn't that what we really honestly, anybody want to be honest in here? I just want him to tell me what to do. The problem is, is a lot of times I listen and then I don't do it. And then, you know, I told you, daughter. You know, he, he's not the I told you so God. But you understand what I'm saying. Deuteronomy 11:18 says, place these words on your hearts, get them deep inside you, tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder, teach them to your children, talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street, talk about them from the time you get up in the morning until you fall into bed at night. Or we could take maybe the 2019 Andrea version and uh, listen to this. 
place these words on your heart. Get them deep inside you. Write them on sticky notes. Make them part of your house decor. Tweet them. Snapchat them. Post them on Facebook. Create an Insta story about them. Write them in your journal. Spell them out on the refrigerator with magnetic letters. I don't know if people still do that. Maybe I'm showing my age. But it's a, it's a way to, to spell it out for you to get it in you. Teach them to your children. Talk about them wherever you are. Chilling at home. When you get a latte at Starbucks or walking around your neighborhood, talk about them from the time you get up in the morning until you fall into bed at night. You know, I can't stop thinking about that video that uh, PT showed us uh, a few weeks back, and it was the, um, do you remember the, the video he showed us about the church in China? For those of you that weren't here or um, need your memory jog, there was this lady who said that she had, excuse me, had memorized many uh, chapters of the Bible and how she had been um, in prison because of her faith anything that God's word um, that was on it was confiscated and um, uh, people would bring uh, scripture in on pieces of paper that she would memorize um, until then those were confiscated. And um, she said something that was very um, powerful to me. She said, even though they can take away the paper, they can't take away what's written in your heart. And in that moment when I was sitting there and I, I watched that video and the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, how much have you hidden in your heart? And that was very convicting to me. Um, and I want to pose that question to you today. How much of his word have you hidden in your heart? If we build trust and stay focused, then I believe we can do the third and last thing, and that is respond boldly in the face of uncertainty. Because Joyce actively built a foundation of trust in the Lord for her life, she was able to respond with boldness in the face of what was meant to crush her. Did you know that um, for this particular movie, now um, the movie production people, whatever you want to call it, um, they don't, they haven't been latching onto or taking on faith-based movies a whole lot. God's going to change that. But 20th Century Fox picked up this script, but it was with a, a contingency. Uh, they said, if um, you can't get Chrissy Metz to play the part of Joyce, which you know who Chrissy Metz is. She's the one who's in the actress in This Is Us. Um, she's the one who um, did play Joyce in the movie. Uh, 20th Century Fox said, if, sh if you don't get her, we're not doing the movie. So Joyce got together, some people went to the church, they prayed, and um, I believe it was within a 24-hour turnaround that um, Joyce, because she had gone to the, the, uh, the movie people and had said, I read it, I don't want to do it. Well, after they had prayed, within a 24-hour period, she called them back and said, oh, I'll do it. That's crazy to me. Like, no, I don't want to do it. Oh, is she bipolar? I don't know. I'm sorry, Chrissy Metz, if you ever watch this. I'm not saying that you're bipolar. I was just, you know. Um, but there was that. And then also the writers of the movie, they came to Joyce and they said, um, we'd like to write in something extra um, in, in the story. W Joyce, we'd like to write in that, that at some point you doubted. And she said, oh, no, no, no. Mm -mm. I never for once doubted who my God is. And I never once doubted that he would not accomplish the word that he gave to me. And she said, if you write it in, we're not doing the movie. Like she, she in that moment risked everything. Like um, 
they could have said, okay, fine, whatever. Um, we got millions in the bank. We don't need your movie. But God had different plans. And, and I truly believe because she was faithful to God's word and she was bold in knowing who her God is, that she was never wavered. I believe that um, her bold faith moved God. She stood on a word that God gave her and in turn was not moved in every aspect. She didn't waver because she knew the character of her God. She didn't care how crazy people thought she was for, for believing that her son would walk out of that hospital. And believe you me, people thought, I'm sure they thought that she was crazy. I'm pretty sure they probably even thought she was weird at times. Watch this. It is neurologically impossible for the patient to change course at this point. Be that as it may, our job is to meet the needs of the patient before Dr. Garrett changes course or the patient expires. But the cerebral blood vessel is completely... Patient's name is John. John Smith. Hello, I'm Dr. Lugar. Yeah. My colleagues and I were just discussing your son's case. Oh, I heard what you were discussing, You Dr. thought we were alone. Of course you did. But I'm here. And my son is right in front of you. And my son can hear you whether you believe it or not. So, from now on, I don't want anybody saying anything negative about his prognosis in this room. You all speak life over John. Do I make myself clear? Mrs. Smith, we really didn't mean to upset I you. I said, do I make myself clear? Yes. Great. she stood she stood in knowing what her God had told her you know maybe she might have been a little brash a little maybe harsh but here was a mom who said mm -mm. it may look like you may be reading that case study and you're you're dictating what the end is going to be but my God says there's a different end and she believed in it and she stood on it I want to talk to us about something so that we can all just kind of get over it now because we are to be different we're to look different we're to walk different we're to speak different but what that can translate in the world's eyes is you're weird can I just tell you that if you believe in Christ and you follow him in the world's eyes you are just that you're weird But do you care? See, according to the world's view, you believe weird things. Therefore, in the world's eyes, you're weird. I mean, you believe in immaculate conception. That right there. Come on. You believe that a man died over 2,000 years ago on a cross to pay for your sins. That you have now become the righteousness of Christ Jesus and you will live in eternity with the Father. You believe not only did Jesus die on a cross, but that he rose again, and he's coming back on the clouds to get you. In the eyes of the world, that's weird. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. So let weird be the new truth. Hashtag weird's the new truth. There you go, there's a new hashtag for you. See, we have faith in and believe in those things we read in the Bible that happened over 2,000 years ago that we weren't a part of, we did not witness with our own eyes, and as far as I know, neither did any one of our relatives. But isn't that what faith is? 
the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We live by faith, not by sight. We've got to stop putting our doubt-filtered glasses on because of an experience we had in our past. We've got to throw those things away and choose today to stand on his word and who he says he is. So let's get over being fearful of what people think about us and let's start getting to being bold for who he is. Let's bow our heads. My prayer for us today is that we would evaluate our faith life, our thoughts, our beliefs, and whether or not our words and actions line up with what we believe. And maybe you're here today and Holy Spirit has been revealing some areas in your life where you need to exercise your faith, where there's been some unbelief or where maybe your thoughts, beliefs, words, or actions don't really line up with his word. And if that's you this morning, would you just boldly raise your hand? And I'm raising my hand this morning because there's some areas in my life that I need to trust in him more. That I need to put my 100% full weight on him. Let me pray for you today. Father God, you've seen the, the hands that were raised this morning. You know exactly the situations that are in front of each and every one of us. Father, would you help us to trust in you? Like for real trust in you, God, that, that what I just said, that putting that 100% full weight on you and your word and that you are who you say you are. God, I pray that even this week that you would reveal yourself in an even greater way of who you are. Father, that we may trust in you. God, we know that it's a process. We know that when we accept your son, your son Jesus, that, that everything doesn't just magically fall in place. We know that there's a process. And God, I thank you that you are on the process and on the journey with us. And I thank you, God, that you are going to reveal yourself in greater ways, that we will, even tomorrow, trust in you just a little bit more, God. I thank you for that. With heads still bowed and eyes closed, I asked you to write down a question earlier. When everything falls apart, who or what have I placed my trust in? And I want to ask that question in a little bit of a different way. When this life comes to an end, when life on earth ceases to exist, where have you placed your trust in when it comes to eternity? Because I know a God who is eternal, who loves you with a love that can never be broken. Nothing can ever stand between or get in the way or diminish the love that he has for each and every one of you. And I also know that there are two places when this life ceases to exist on this earth that we have the potential to spend eternity in. And one is heaven and one is hell. And I don't say that to scare you into making a decision. I say that because it's reality. But I also have to tell you that hell was never meant for you. Our loving God did not create hell to send his children to. That's something that unfortunately we choose. See, as the song that we sang earlier this morning that said, what other savior would use his freedom to pay a ransom that we could never afford? See, there's, a, there, there's something, there has to be payment made for sin. And for each and every one of us, sin has already been purchased. Our lives have already been purchased. Your debt has already been canceled on the cross. All he says that we have to do 
is the lead. It's not by your works. It's not by what you do. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's a free gift that he gives you. So this morning, if you're in that place where you couldn't say, Andrea, I know 100% of where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. If you're wavering, if you're, you're unsure in any way, I want to give you an opportunity to be sure. I want to pray a prayer with you. And it's not uh, uh, anything magical that happens because of the words that you pray, because of the words. It's all because of what he's done and that you believe in what he's done. So if that's you today, I just want you to very boldly, just very boldly, just lift up your hands. Just lift up your hands and say, yeah, that's me. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. I want to place all of my trust in him and knowing that I can stand on a sure foundation that it will not crumble, it will not crack, it will stand the test of time, it will stand for all of eternity, and I want to believe on Jesus Christ. We've all said this prayer before, and I would just ask that you would pray with a couple of people um, that have raised their hands today. Maybe you online, you're watching and and that's you, and you can just raise your hand, not for me, not, not, not for, for anyone to see, but for God to see and to know your heart that, that you want to accept him and you want to believe on him today. So let's all repeat this prayer. De Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn away from my sins and invite you to come into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps will be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.